Adam Roberts, British science fiction writer, academic, and professor at the University of London. He's author of 25 science fiction novels. This is the first episode of the Adam Roberts series. Apparently, you know something about Tolkien as well. You gave the second annual Tolkien lecture, which I thought was an interesting sentence by itself. Number one, there's a, there's, there were numbering the lectures. <laughs> this is the second <laughs> one. <laughs> so, is there other unsanctioned uh, Tolkien lectures where <laughs> where the where there's some trouble for the <laughs> somebody who did get I don't know get it sanctioned? Shall I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, they do they do annually now. I mean, I, again, it's been a bit disrupted by COVID and lockdown and everything, but. <sighs> It's they're held in Balliol College, which is Tolkien's old Oxford College, and the Tolkien Society arranges them, and they're very, I mean, they're really great. It was really interesting to do mine and get and have that and a large audience and kind of feedback. I talked about Tolkien and women, which is kind of an interesting topic because people don't think of Tolkien as being very progressive. It's, it's hard, isn't it? There are no women at all in in the Hobbit, and there are only kind of marginal women in the Lord of the Rings. And I, it's you don't want to. I mean, he does a. a, a an upper middle class, small C conservative Englishman of a certain generation, and he had right quite traditionalist kind of reactory, reactionary views as to women's roles and so on. But I think there is a there is an argument to be made for that that kind of redeems Tolkien from the charge of simply being sexist and misogynist. And that's what I try to make in my lecture. But no, it's an it's an annual event, and this, they they record them and they put them on the Tolkien Society website. And it's, if you're interested in Tolkien, it's well worth checking them out. I don't mean mine particularly, but there's a been a series of much more interesting lecturers since then. And Tolkien was, you know, Tolkien was kind of my gateway drug that was reading the the Hobbit. In fact, specifically, it was listening to an audio book of the Hobbit read out by the English actor, the Scottish actor, Nicol Williamson, and then reading Lord of the Rings at quite an early age. And for many years, I would reread the Lord of the Rings every year. It would be my annual ritual. Oh, cool. Although I have to say, I have not, I have not read the Lord of the Rings this year. Although the year's not over yet. There's another <laughs> seven days. We might squeeze a quick reading in whilst we're there. Wow. I do love talking. It's hard because that, my worry, I suppose, is because he got to me at such an early age, he sort of bypasses my critical disinterested critical faculties and i'm liable to forgive him oh. things that if i came across him now i might think oh no you're just a reactionary old prig <laughs> i do think there's something really profound there but that might just be my sentimental attachment to my own youth Are you, would you call yourself a tolkien fan lancer is that not a- i am a fan for sure i uh, read okay so my my introduction was more bumpy when i was young i read the hobbit which at the time wasn't very mature for me. I was reading other contemporary fantasists when I think it was in, when did I read The Hobbit? Was it the like freshman high school? And, uh, and then we read The Hobbit, and I'm like, you know, this is kind of like written for, it's like YA, it's a little too YA for me. Compared to what I was reading with more like, how do I say this? humanistic there were more humans involved and there were there was human relationships which t- 
Tolkien. I mean, he has some relationship in there, but it's not very, it's not centerpiece. It's the hobbits are not. My interest at the time was probably a little bit more of a, a, probably romance, a little bit more about drama, interpersonal drama, where Tolkien, where, where the Hobbit, let me be specific, the Hobbit, <laughs> was uh, more about uh, the friendship and fellowship and, and, and things like that. But then, like, it was like, when was it? I think it was post-college, it might have been. I picked up, for some reason, I never read the, the whole series. I think the, the, the Hobbit put me off. And then I read it, and I loved it. I thought, holy smokes, this has got all the, this is where all the good stuff is. I, I, uh, I, uh, it was amazing because I think I kind of, I think I started reading the first one thinking, ah, it's probably not going to be that good. It'll be like The Hobbit. But no, it was just like a whole different experience. So, yeah. I mean, there's something in that, isn't there? So I read it in the 70s and there wasn't anything else. Now there's a, a whole bookshops are full of, you know, varied and fantastic and amazing different kinds of fantasy. And if The Hobbit doesn't light your candle. And I tried reading it to my kids when they were younger as a bedtime story. And they found it just quite slow and quite prolix. And it's, there's the tone of voice is kind of old fashioned. Whereas there are more recent up to date fantasies and more diverse fantasies that cut straight through to them. And, I don't know how much of that is just... I mean, I, I do remember reading it and reading Lord of the Rings and then looking hungrily around for other examples. The only other author I could find was Ursula Le Guin and her Earthsea books, which I still think are towering, peerless masterpieces. But otherwise, I remember when the Shannara books started being published and I read those and they're just so patently derivative of whole Tolkien. They're just kind of trying to do that Tolkien thing and Stephen Donaldson and all that kind of stuff that came in the aftermath. But when I started reading it, that was all there was. I am sounding 100 years old now, but that is just you know, these things go. Back in my day, there was only one radio station and we all listened to it. I used to wear an onion in my belt, which was the fashion at the time. I didn't know that was ever anybody's fashion, but there we are. <laughs> the way to spin that is to say, look, we're much better off now. There's a, there's a fantastic range and variety of all sorts of different kinds of fantasy and science fiction and all sorts of different kinds of writing altogether, actually. We are better supplied, I think. Thoughts wants to expand. We want to grow from not just your podcast player, but to spread to your co-workers, your family, and your friends. But I haven't got any friends. Why, you little... One, two, three... Oh, no, you don't. We know you've got friends who are who are into the science, who are into science fiction. These are the people who are playing Halo and Stellaris and, and other space games instead of watching college football. There are the ones in the NASA t-shirts who are busy inventing something with their 3D printers. Email them a link to this podcast. Send them a social media request. Heck, even speak to them and tell them that you've enjoyed the show. The main point is to impress upon them how much you enjoy sci-fi thoughts. Tell them to go to the URL sci-fi thoughts.space. Don't keep sci-fi thoughts secret because keeping secrets from science fiction fans 
just isn't nice. In this episode's show notes, you will see a TEDx talk by Adam Roberts and an assortment of other activities. Where are the show notes? Check out the show notes in the podcast player app. You just need to go click on in the app and you will see the notes there. If you don't use a podcast player, but you downloaded the MP3, just go back to this website where you got it and you will see those words right there. Next episode, more Adam Roberts. So my, my kind of general position is everything is pretty much everything in human culture is either science fiction or fantasy, except for quite a small kind of subset, an exception, which we call realist fiction, which is quite late on in the day, actually. It's not until the 18th and 19th century that people start writing novels that sort of are set in a recognisable version of our world. If you look at most stories, medieval romances or a poem like Beowulf, or if you look at the stories of the Greek myths, or if you go back to Homer, or if you go back to the epic of Gilgamesh, there are always fantasy magical elements in it it's always about magical powers or gods or monsters 